you're excited to get a great start to the middle of your week because we have officially switched from recording on Thursdays to putting it out now on Wednesdays. So now we can hopefully give you a midweek pick you up. We have a new episode releasing today and I'm excited to have you guys join us. I'm Blake Beasley, 30% of the BS and half of this show. The other half is... I'm Spencer Mose, 10% here. I, I'm ready to talk NBA today. NBA kicked off yesterday. Huge Golden State win. And man, oh man, the boys did not skip a beat. Oh man, the Warriors were looking dangerous. Do you want to just get into that game first? All right. What's your thoughts from the Warriors-Lakers opening night game? One of the only things that I looked at, the Lakers suck. <laughs> I mean, turnovers, missed shots. They... Their thoughts going into the postseason were, damn, when you probably need to get Buddy healed. We needed a shooting guard. We need three-point shooters to be able to make shots. They cannot make a damn three-point shot to save their life. I mean, it's, it's actually pathetic. At one point, I'm pretty sure they were one for 15 or two for 15. But, I mean, they don't really play defense. And starting Lonnie Walker, I mean, wh- what are you doing? If you want to be a championship contender, I'm sorry, but Lonnie Walker is probably not your answer. And for all the things that, I mean, I'm not a LeBron hater, not a LeBron lover, but if you're saying LeBron's the best GM in the business and you go out and get Lonnie Walker as your starting shooting guard, that's probably not the best best thing that is going for you. Other than that, I mean, Steph Curry was struggling for three um, until he got going in the fourth quarter. Um, but really, this game was over as soon as the third quarter started. I even heading into the first half, first quarter, second quarter, there really wasn't much going on. Um, the Warriors pretty had pretty much had control the whole game. Um, but really, I mean, the third quarter Warriors shined again, did not skip a beat in the third quarter. They won by, I think, 14 or 16 in the third quarter alone. So that kind of broke the game open. And the Warriors did not really miss a stride, which I, I thought they'd kind of be – uh, down initially just because it was the ring ceremony opening game after winning uh NBA championship, but uh, really they did not skip a beat. Yeah, no, I completely agree. One thing that really shocked me about that Warriors offense is usually for the NFL when that season started, I predicted that the Bill, I mean that the Rams and the Bengals would lose opening week because championship teams usually come out complacent, not as serious, especially when you have 82 games. Warriors came out hungry, man. I mean, it took – they had some issues early on, but that's just natural. First time playing live basketball, like real live basketball in a while. But overall, I mean, honestly, I think that offense looked essentially perfect. Steph, it operates around him. Like, I can't even imagine a more perfect offense for Stephen Curry to operate in. He, that was easy for him to get 33-6-7. and seven. And the thing that impresses me the most about the Golden State Warriors is they're a team that has a lot of high-level scores a lot of guys who could go out and get you a bucket and they just play so unselfish being able to get 31 assists on the night, being able to move the ball really well. The chemistry was clicking on all cylinders. They were amazing in terms of the Lakers. Honestly, I think they seriously lack team chemistry. Like it felt like this was their first time legitimately hooping with each other. Like where you get a lot of talented guys at LA fitness and you're like, all right, let's try to win a game, but there's actually no chemistry going on. It seems like a lot of missing pieces. At one point, they shot two for 25 from three-point range, which is just abysmal. And I remember seeing, too, not to crap on Lonnie Walker as much during this show, but I remember looking, and I saw Lonnie Walker was 0 for 5, and I was like, he's supposed to be the shooter. So if your shooters are going 0 for 5, it's 
it's bad. I'm seriously concerned about the Lakers year, except for the fact is I think they're going to make moves deeper into the season and they're going to make a lot of trades and changes that are going to help them move forward. And one thing I just want to put to bed right now, the whole LeBron chasing Kareem thing is one of the most dumbest cop-outs I have. It's going to be the dumbest narrative of this entire NBA season because you have people like Skip Bayless who came out and said, and other people are coming out against LeBron and saying, oh, his team's down by 15 in the fourth quarter, and he's still trying to score baskets. He's trying to chase Kareem. Okay, if my teammates are shooting one for 24 from three-point range, how else are we going to come back except for me going out and scoring? I mean, the man is in year 20. Let me repeat that, year 20. Some people watching this might not even be 20 years old. He's in year 20. He goes for 31, 14, and 8, and he's getting criticized for not giving up at the end of the game because he's chasing points. Let's not diminish what he's doing. The guy's trying to win games at the end of the day. And while he continues to try to win games, I hope the Lakers will as well, but it's not looking too good. One of the big, biggest factors during the game that I was watching is their bench is, is, is not good at all. I mean, you bring up you bring JTA from the Warriors, okay, decent pickup. You know what you're going to get out of him. He's just prototypical role player. I mean, he's another Draymond Green technically on the team. And then you have Wendon Gabriel and um, Matt Ryan, who are both on unguaranteed contracts. So those will expire, I think, January 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but really, those are the two pieces that they'll have to figure out. I think I read that they're paying $60,000 a day for them to be on the team. Um, and so I, I think they just need to make a few trades to even have – like top four in the West. I mean, I don't see them as a top four or five team right now, probably six to eight. Uh, but I mean, the depth is just, is going to hurt them down the stretch, especially if there's an injury that occurs within the starting lineup. But one of the biggest things that I was looking at during the Golden State Warriors game is, is their depth is insane. I think part of the hungriness that you were talking about is just the young guys that are coming off the bench. You have Kaminga, you have Moody, you have Wiseman. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, although I did not like Dante DiVincenzo that game, I thought he played horribly. Uh, you have, I would like to see what they're going to do with James Wiseman's points. And Jordan Poole's passing was considerably off the charts yesterday. That's kind of what I noticed is your backup point guard, um, when Steph's not in the game, is really distributing the ball well as well as, well as scoring. Um, so I th- thought he had a decent game. Not the best shooting. It was 415, but just distributing the ball well. He had seven assists. And so – if you're going to have your backup point guard having seven assists in a game, that's pretty pretty good. Yeah, I agree 100%. I'm not going to lie. Going into the game, I wasn't too high on the Golden State Warriors because I'm a natural hater towards them. They're looking incredibly scary. Switching over to the other teams who played that night, 76ers Celtics, what's your takeaways there? The 76ers just are a wrecking Wrecking ball in the worst way that you could possibly say wrecking ball. They have no transition defense, so many turnovers, and their offense literally revolves around Embiid and Harden one-on-one. They don't distribute the ball. There's no passing. When you when I went from watching the 76ers game to the Warriors, just those two offenses watching each other, it looks like like middle school ball compared to a college team playing. I mean, there's no fluidity within the 76ers offense. You have Harden going between, between, between. And honestly, if it weren't for Harden hitting some like crazy threes with the shot clock winding down this game, what should have been, I think it should have been a 15 to 20 point game. Uh, I was kind of looking at the stats. 
before before this and during the game and giving up 24 transition points was really lackluster and you have two fast break fast break points yourself you're never going to win a game in that category especially when you're losing the turnover margin as well uh, and so I was watching a few plays and you have you have Harden not getting back on defense and if he's back even if he's back on defense there was one play where I think Jason Tatum was coming down the lane and literally just tried to swipe at the ball like at some point you have to, you have to lock in on defense. I mean, defense honestly wins championships. It's why Golden State got so far last year and ended up winning the title, but I it just kind of a nervous wreck down in down up in Philadelphia, but for the Celtics standpoint, I mean, you know what you were going to get out of them. They're a great team. Probably my favorite to come out of the East again, um, Tatum and Brown 35 apiece. What can you say? Two stars in the making. And so I thought, like we were saying earlier, I think me and you were talking separately and Malcolm Brockton was a huge pickup for them. Um, and he really showed it. So it's kind of all I took away from that game. It's, it's the first game of the year. So there's not, can't make too many assumptions going into the game, but just for the 76 themselves, I mean, you have to have more fluidity on offense. You have a whole postseason to get ready for the first game. And it, it looks like they just did not work on anything as a team that what I was seeing, it's just, it's a one-on-one game. You take this shot, I'll take the next shot. And I would like to see Maxi get more involved and have the ball more in his hands, but that's kind of it. I don't know if you noticed this during the game, too, because I, I wasn't going to say this initially, but since you mentioned them doing bad, I will. Embiid looked flat out out of shape to me. Like, oh, it yeah, looks like you, you can tell when someone is coming in basketball ready, and I know it's the first game of the season. The thing is, normally, if it's the first game of the season, I'll be like, oh, it's okay to be out of shape. Not if your goal, which is what he's openly said, he wants to be an MVP in this league someday. He wants to be a champion. He wants to put himself in that Giannis, LeBron, Kevin Durant type tier. And he's not going to get that showing up to the first game out of shape. They were literally setting screens to get Embiid switched on them so they could abuse him. That's not what your best player on a championship team should be. He shouldn't be a liability on defense offensively it was somewhere midway through the third quarter he had five turnovers just operating out of the post being double teamed somebody's open if you're double teamed just it, it's making a simple pass but it's just the fact too he wasn't be able to get off the line as quick he just looked flat out out of shape in terms of the rest of philadelphia 76ers i'm really impressed with tyrese Maxey personally i think that guy is an absolute bucket especially keeping in mind i think he's 20 to 21 years old and even there's a point, he finished with 21 points, but it felt like he scored 15 in a straight there. Honestly, I thought the game could have got a lot uglier if Maxi wouldn't have came in and carried the offensive load. And personally, I was expecting James Harden to be one of the worst players on the court. So me personally, as a guy who is a massive Harden fan, seeing him able to go tween, 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 and do those old classic James Harden moves. I mean, he dropped Jason, T- uh, Jason Tatum in a disgusting fashion. He went over cross. He made Marcus Smart fall in a disgusting fashion. He finished with 35, 8, and 7. I was thinking Philadelphia's championship window would lie if Harden can average 18. But I honestly think the biggest liability there was just Embiid being out of shape. And I think when Embiid gets in shape, that will solve a lot of problems because it's hard to work when the guy who's supposed to be the focal point of your offense doesn't seem to want the ball and he doesn't seem to want to play defense. On the flip side for Boston, my favorite player for the Celtics is still injured, Robert Williams. I think the world of him. But Tatum and Brown, man, a lot of respect to those two just because I know it may not seem like adversity if you made the finals last year. Let's just kind of look at this offseason real quick. Anybody who had a Twitter account knows the entire internet made fun of Jason Tatum, said he wasn't clutch, said he was overrated. 
for a good four months. And sometimes people wouldn't shy away from that, especially when you keep in mind, Jason Tatum's 24 years old. He leans into it, comes out 35 and 12. Jalen Brown played arguably his best playoff series in the NBA finals. And he was in trade rumors for Kevin Durant about a month ago, an organization who he's dedicated his time to, who he's really appreciated to try to ditch him after his best performance. He could come out and play a type of way. He could come out and play selfish, maybe not play good basketball, especially factoring in the fact that they don't even have their own real head coach right now. It's going to be the head coach for the season, but it would be pretty difficult finding out with all the personal stuff happening in Boston. They are coaching your leaders, not even there. And despite that, we see a 24-year-old Tatum and a 26 Jalen Brown combined for 70 points. That's absolutely amazing to me. It shows me how well they can deal with adversity. And like you said, too, I thought one of the biggest factors was Malcolm Brogdon seems to fit, fit that system like a complete glove, man. I think the Celtics could actually be dangerous. And I had written them off completely. Where did you know Smith? And now I actually genuinely believe that they could come out and make some noise, even though it's way too early. But they're a team who I'm not going to sleep on anymore, especially when Robert Williams comes back. Yeah, no, I love the Robert Williams effect. I mean, just him at the rim, like solely, is it's a huge piece that they'll be missing for quite some time until he comes back. He's just a shot blocker in the making, can get there and uh, defend screens well. But the one knock that I've had on Jalen Brown since I since I started really watching him play is the, his turnovers. I mean, he yeah, he just dribbles into into unknown space and loses the ball. I mean, he had another four last night, and it felt like even during the finals, he had three to four to five a game, and all of them were live ball turnovers, which end up in fast break points. And so that's just one of the key things that if the Celtics really want to be as good as they are, good as they were next year or even better, I think that one of your primary ball handlers, if Jalen Brown's going to be coming off screens and everything, he's got to be more efficient with the ball in his hands. And kind of on the flip side, the other knock, other two knocks that I have on Embiid, like you said, really didn't play well at all. You can look at his stats and, oh, he might have had a good good game with 20, 26, 15, and 5. But really watching him play from a from a basketball-like perspective or mind, he played horribly. When you're guarding a ball screen and you're in a, in a drop coverage, they're going to expose the daylights out of you in the NBA. You saw, you saw it last year uh, in the finals. I'm pretty sure that there was at one point in time – I want to say that the Golden State Warriors had run like 72 ball screens with Curry in the first three games. And I think 68 of them were a drop coverage. And then you wonder why Curry's getting open from three all the time. They're going over the screens and he's knocking down threes. And that's kind of what you saw with Jalen Brown yesterday, except from a 15 footer. If you're, if you're in beat and you're going to be in a drop coverage, you're, you're going to get scored on like consistently in the NBA. People are going to knock down a mid range shot on you. Um, the other thing is, is, like you said, how he wants to become that top tier um, in that MVP category. You're coming out the first game. I would expect you, if you have the MVP on your mind, to come out and absolutely dominate. And if even if you're not going to play well, at least give the effort and show that you're, you're trying to assert your dominance on people. And one of the big factors in today's world is, is the media. And, and if you're going to be the MVP, you should like try to propose yourself and show that you're willing to fight and the media will cover it and you'll probably get more attention. But I mean, Marcus Smart literally looked like he was going to kill Embiid when he got the technical. Yeah. I mean, he said after the game, I could have broken his head. I actually think he probably could have too. Uh, but Joel Embiid looked like he was going to break Marcus Smart's arm there when they got in a little tussle on baseline. It was bad, <laughs> especially, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you saw that. 
That beef has been brewing for a long time. I think since 2013. Yeah. yeah. They've been going back and forth at it. Yeah, no, it's insane. There's even a whole video on it. Um, talking about MVPs, MVP predictions. Who do you got? This is hard for me because originally, like, I still want to go with Embiid, but I just don't know if I can put put my full trust in them, especially. Like, the first game of the season really shows a tell for how good you really want to be. And it just looked like he wasn't there mentally. He wasn't there physically. Like you said, he was out of shape. And so I think it could be more of a toss-up than you think this year. And I, I don't see Jokic winning three straight. Uh, so maybe I'll Giannis gets another one. But really, it could be more of a toss-up and someone kind of out of the blue that could win it this year. I, I don't know what you think, but... I think this year is more of a, a toss-up. You, I don't think Jason Tatum is totally there yet at a superstar status where he could win MVP. He has a long-shot chance. You could throw Curry in the mix with a good year, but he's, again, on a really good team where the scoring is kind of going to be thrown all over the place. Uh, I mean, maybe a Kevin Durant. Who knows? I, I don't have a set person that I see uh, winning it this year. So what's your take on it? Uh, I agree when I tell you this has been the hardest year it's been to pick. Personally, I mean, okay, I've gotten it wrong the last two years because I haven't chosen Nikola Jokic once. But in general, and that's no disrespect to Jokic, I just, I'm a believer and he's broken this myth, granted. Usually, if you look statistically, I'm pretty sure outside of Jokic, outside of Westbrook, and then outside of Michael Jordan, every single MVP since 1985 has been a top three seed in in their respective conference. So I usually tend to look more towards the top guys. That's been my issue with certain people. And that's why I chose certain people. So my initial thought was Luka Doncic, just because, I mean, let's be honest, he's getting an MVP sometime within the next three or four years. So he's just, might as well say it every year because I don't want to say it. The one I've said it last year. I don't want the one time I don't say it. He does win MVP. My only issue is Kawhi Leonard's coming back. The Lakers aren't going to be that good. The Warriors are for sure going to be good. Jamal Murray is not a massive factor. He's still coming back, though. You know, Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers are going to be back in full effect, healthier again. Uh, Zion Williamson's back to help the Pelicans out. There's a lot of good teams that are coming out of the West this year, and I'm sure I mentioned – I forgot to mention the Phoenix Suns as well. Even the Minnesota Timberwolves, man, bringing Rudy Gobert over. I don't see just Luka Doncic alone being able to carry a team to a top-three seed on his entire back with the type of talent that's around him. I think Dallas needs to make more moves before they become a top three seed. And I just can't see Luka getting in that range for he'll have the numbers. His team's his team won't. So I can't pick him. I tied him with two other people. I had Giannis just because I think Giannis is flat out the best player in the world. And I think Milwaukee could make a run for the one seed in the East easily because of the type of lineup they have, the type of chemistry and just the fact that Giannis is going to for sure have those numbers. And surprisingly enough, I didn't even consider him. Curry's been kind of due for one. It's been a while. And also just seeing the way that offense operates with everybody being so unselfish and moving the ball around. Golden State Warriors are going to win a lot of games, a lot of games. And if they can win, get in that range where they can be a one or two seed and Curry's averaging somewhere around 27 points per game, maybe like seven assists, and nobody else is standing out. And the only people who are standing out are on bad teams. It could just be one of those situations where he just happens to get it. And it would be earned for sure, but it won't be like a historic season. It'll just be he's the best of a bad situation. So those are my three picks for that. If I had to die on a hill, 
I'm going Giannis, but yeah. I'm I'm worried about voter fatigue. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I I, I guess if I have one person to say, like on a limb, this is the year that Ja Morant could win it. I mean, a great year last year. I don't think Ja Morant is to the MVP status, but with the hype, especially, I mean, the media plays a huge role in the talks of MVP and everything. And I think what he finished in like fourth last year of the ranking, fifth. Finished pretty well. I mean, I don't know. It's it's so hard. I I understand the Curry. He's a sleeper for me. There's just it's so like kind of spread out this year, and I can't get a great grasp on where this season could head because it's almost like there's so many good teams this year, but there's also so many unknowns on teams, and you don't know how like. If you would ask me, what seed do you think the Suns will be in the West? I, I don't know. You have, I mean, you have the Clippers and Golden State, who are my probably two front runners in the West. You put them at three or four, they could slide to a five. So, I don't know. Yeah, I've been talking about it just being wide open. One of the sites I looked at, the favorite was Zion Williamson, and it was fan vote. So. Yeah, I know. So, like, it, it's extremely wide open. Yeah. Switching gears, coach of the year. I'm going to – I'll start on this one, and it may it may not even be a name some of our fans know, but I'm just going to go out there and say it. It's going to be a bold prediction. I almost went Steve Kerr. But coach of the year, they low-key give it to – they try to spread that award really around for coaches, which I appreciate. Um, J.B. Bickerstaff. <laughs> That's who I'm being so – <laughs> Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm being so serious. I think the Cavaliers are going to – Coach Theory, you don't have to be a one seed. You just have to improve a lot. The, the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to get drastically better than they did last year by adding Donovan and simply by being healthy and by the East not being too strong. And I could easily see JB and Cleveland sneaking into that three seed, maybe even a two seed. But if they get into that three or four realm, I'm pretty sure – I don't remember what year. I thought Tom Thibodeau got it as like a seven seed. Yeah. When the Knicks were okay. So I could easily see JB Bickerstaff getting it as a three or a four seed for leading a young group of leaders, which he will, but I'm insanely high on the Cavaliers. But you, JB Bickerstaff, too. Let me hear I, it. I fully agree with you. I got JB Bickerstaff as well. And I, I think that the thing that just pushed me over is, like you said, you don't have to be a top team to get this. It's one of those teams that just improves over the year. Yeah, you see a lot of potential. I think a lot that came with it was the Donovan Mitchell trade. And that's probably what put me over the top to choose him as the coach of the year, but just improving him, getting a superstar already. I think that there's a lot of good things that are going to come with Cavaliers this year. I'm, I'm high on them as well. Um, But like you said, the, the coach of the year doesn't have to go to the best team. I mean, you don't see the NBA champion coach get this every year. It's kind of a team that is kind of, not normally in the front running kind of come behind the scenes and maybe have it down the stretch a, a good good season when you look at the numbers after the after the season but I don't know I have to go with him as well kind of a dark another dark horse is Nick Nurse with the Raptors another team who who could be that after winning the championship they really they really haven't done much but I don't I don't I don't really have much reasoning on why I like him but it's another team where the east is East is a little bit more open than the West. And so if I'm going to take a coach of the year, it's probably going to be from the East. Yeah, I completely agree. Six man of the year. Who are you rocking with? 
I have zero idea, but I'm going to have to go with Spencer Didwitty. Yeah, a very, very dark horse candidate, Dallas Mavericks. But I think with Jalen Brunson gone, there's going to be more open growth to be playing with Luka and Porzingis gone too. I think that he can come off the prevention, provide a lot of scoring. You remember him on the Brooklyn Nets when he, he kind of became Didwitty and everyone started understanding, okay, this dude can actually hoop. People are starting to understand his name, but I think he's going to get a lot, a lot respect on the, on the Mavs and have more of a, maybe a bigger, bigger role with them, especially if he's going to be playing alongside Luca or even when Luca's out of the game, he's going to be taking over that second team unit. And so just a guy that can score at will. This is a guy for me that if I'm going to pick the six man of the year, you're going to improve your stats a lot. One and two, I want to see like a good plus minus ratio when you're on the court. And so I think, I think he can lead the second unit. And when the first unit comes back on, I hope that he stays quite a bit and gets the chance to play with Luca. Cause I think they could be a dynamic duo. Yeah, I definitely, I like I like the choice of Spencer did Woody. I personally loved him in Brooklyn. I remember when Kobe Bryant came out and said Spencer did what he should be an all-star this year. So I really do enjoy Spencer. Um, but the guy I went with is Jordan Poole. Just because he's going to be playing, first of all, the Warriors are going to win a lot of games. When your team wins a lot of games, you tend to win a lot of awards. Two, I think I don't off the top of my head know a six-man who is more talented than Jordan Poole or who I believe has a higher ceiling than Jordan Poole right now. And then to finally close out, Jordan Poole, it, first of all, we know the way he hoops. He's going to get his numbers no matter what. He's going to get his numbers. And also, he's going to really benefit from something that other guys who are up for six men of the year won't. That second group for the Warriors is so talented that for some teams, it's basically like playing with starting lineup. He'll be able to get some of his assists up. He'll be able to get some decent shots up and some decent looks because he's going to be surrounded by talent. And because of that, I think Jordan Poole could really benefit off of that and get his first award for six men of the year this season. One of the key things that you said, and I love that you said it, was Jordan Poole's assists. This is a man where last year he would he would pass the ball quite a bit, but I think he was almost concerned about more scoring and showing who he really was because he was just kind of breaking through. And now that he's there and a lot of people are starting to understand, okay, Jordan Poole is actually a damn good player. One key stat, he had seven assists last night. He had seven assists, almost a double-double as a six-man off the bench with a stacked, loaded team where all the scoring is going all over the place and the ball's moving like at a rapid speed. I, this is a huge number that coming into the game, I, I would like to see him pass. And that, that exactly happened. I thought coming off a ball screen, especially the thing that I like most with him in the second unit is having Wiseman. It's different than having Kavon Looney in the game because Wiseman can score more at will than Kavon will. And I think that him coming off of ball screens with Wiseman rolling, you can't help off so many defenders shooting a three with Golden State. You have, Kaminga in there you can help off him quite a, a little bit but you're not going to help off way too much because he has a first step on you as well um, and then you have Jamichael Green and three and D player I mean you, you saw it yesterday he can he can shoot the rock too, two for three from three but what I really like for Jordan Poole and where I want to see him grow this year is the assist categories and this is a great first game to see him uh, kind of hit that road road going hard yeah I agree 100 percent especially he's like a very high level passer looked like, cause I mean, you can get a Westbrook assist, no disrespect to him, but also all disrespect where you could just like hand it off to somebody and they shoot a layup. But Jordan Poole, he had one where Steph was cutting back door and he literally like had to, 
it's a legitimate good point guard pass. And that's what Jordan Poole's doing. And like I said, I think he has an incredibly high ceiling. Rookie of the year. Well, I want to say Cade Cunningham, just because or not Cade Cunningham. Jesus, I'm stupid. Um Jaden Ivey? No, I've lost his name now. Paolo Bencaro, Keegan Murray. Paolo Bencaro, yeah. I want to say Paolo Bencaro just just kind of just because it's Paul Bancaro. And I think he's the best person in this draft, but I want to go with a, another dark horse. And it's Benedict Matherin. A very dark horse, not a great Pacers team, a decent team, but a very young team as well. And I think that if you're going to get this, <clears throat> get this award, you have to show the numbers right away. This rookie of the year straight goes to numbers, I've always thought. And so with, with a young team, I think that he has the chance to put up a lot of points and not much hype around him. So they're not thinking that he needs to be this great right away. And I think with Paul Bancaro, you're already trying to think that, oh, he needs to be a rookie of the year. If he doesn't win rookie of the year, he's a bust, blah, 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 blah. But I think that the media hype almost gives him an advantage in this case. Yeah, I, I almost went with Jay Nivey here. I was very close because I'm a big Jay Nivey guy. I think he's an absolute bucket. I think he's going to make a massive impact on the Pistons, but the Pistons just have a lot of scores around that team. So it made me not comfortable with him. I almost went with Keegan Murray, but I just don't know if he's going to get the attention he deserves. With Paulo Bancaro, the reason why I have to go with him, one, he went to Duke. Two, he's 6'10 and just keeps that ball on his string, and he can shoot from any level. And he's going into a system with Orlando where they're expecting him to be the guy. There's going to be games where Paulo doesn't get 15, Paulo doesn't get 20, we get blown out. So he's going to get a lot of opportunities to get shots off. He's going to get a lot of chances that players normally may not have. And I know Paulo's built for that, and I think he's going to flourish in that system. So that's why I got Paulo, but I am a big Benedict Matherin fan. I liked his windmill he had in the preseason. I think he's a freak athlete. Love the fact that he went to Arizona, even though I'm an ASU guy more. But still, I, I think at the end of the day, Paulo's the most talented, and I believe Paulo will win the award. MIP, most improved player. Who do you have? I'm going to have to go with Anthony Edwards. I think, I think this is, did you have him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is really the year where he, although it's, this is only a second year, he had a really good first year, but I think this is where he takes a ne- next step and honestly could be an all-star this year. Uh, I think he's going to, he's going to be a great player. He's got a, I didn't honestly think he was going to be that good of a shooter from three, but even just watching him last year, it looks like he's got a very fluid shot. And everything just kind of works naturally. I know a lot of people got on him uh, before last season because he's, he was saying, like, oh, I don't really love basketball that much. I really wouldn't want to be playing it, blah, blah, blah. But the man can play with the best of them. And I think, I think he's got a high ceiling, and maybe that's why I want to give him most improved player so much. But I just think that he can become an all-star this year in his second year. And there's just a lot of room for growth with him as well, especially – uh, on the Timberwolves. Oh, I, I can't agree anymore. That's why I chose Anthony Edwards. First of all, he's probably one of my top five favorite players in the NBA, just in general. He's first, all the fans love Anthony at this point. I mean, we got to see him be the rival to Bo Cruz in our, one of the best Netflix movies that came out this summer. So he has the media attention. And the fact of the matter is, even if he doesn't love playing basketball, He's amazing at it. Like, there's just no factor behind it. He's just really talented. He's super gifted. He came out, dropped 36 in a playoff game. And then in the other playoff game before that, I'm pretty sure he had 31. He's never afraid of a moment. And I think the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to win a lot of games this year with the addition of Rudy Gobert. 
because they just desperately needed some defense. And with the team that has Rudy Gobert, who people can hate it or not, he is on his way to the Hall of Fame for the way the NBA standards are. He's a Hall of Famer. Carl Anthony Towns, the self-proclaimed best shooting big man of all time. There's no doubt in my mind Anthony Edwards is going to be the best player on that team. I think Anthony Edwards could arguably, at the end of the season, be considered a top-five shooting guard. The season we saw John Morant have last year is the season I envisioned for Anthony Edwards this year, where he's in that conversation of potentially even being an MVP, just being a high-level guy. And personally, I think MIP shouldn't go to the Anthony Edwards and John Morant's of the world because when you're in your third year of the NBA as a former first overall pick, this is the national natural progression you should be taking anyway. But if the, the award is made the way it is, and I think Anthony Edwards is made perfectly for it. And that being said, my most surprising team of the season will also be the Minnesota Timberwolves. I would say the Cleveland Cavaliers, but I already gave love to J.B. Bickerstaff. I think the Timberwolves are going to come out as the three seed in the West, which is a very big statement, especially considering who's in the West. But I just think they have the overall talent. Jaden McDaniels is really going to grow into his role. Anthony Edwards is already the world, like I said. Carl Anthony Towns is a very lethal scorer, one of the best big man shooters in the league. And Rudy Gobert is just going to be a big game changer for them down low. He's going to really be able to help cover Cat's kind of defensive weaknesses. And I think Minnesota is going to roll through and win a lot of games that people think they wouldn't. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I was going to choose the Timberwolves as well, but I'll go sideways on this pick. I don't, I mean, we've been taking a lot of the same. So I'll take the Toronto Raptors. Not much, not much behind it, but since we took the same one, I'll just take them. I think, especially since I, I said this earlier, but the East is so wide open. Uh, you just have, you have room for growth in that area. And it's just with a team that's always hard nosed, especially when you're coached by a good coach who just wants to be nitty and gritty and kind of eke their wins out. I, I, for me, I think it's, when I think of Toronto Raptors, I think of like always a hard-nosed team. And it was it was almost probably – well, I know it was built with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. And so I think anyone that kind of comes through kind of comes through that franchise is going to be a hard-nosed player. And I think they're just going to scratch out a bunch of wins. Oh, I agree 100%. All right, we're going a little off script here, but I was just kind of looking at some of the NBA games that are going on right now. The the Brooklyn Nets are getting beat by 25 points, three-fourths the way through the third quarter. There's four minutes left, and they are playing horrific. It's a team that I thought, just like Embiid was saying when he wants to come out, MVP, you need to show what you're worth. The Brooklyn Nets, this is their game to show everyone that they are the who they want to be, and they want to be a championship contender. They want to be the number one seed in the East, and, man, are they just blowing smoke up everyone's butts. Kyrie Irving is six points, three of 13 shooting. Simmons, two points. He's only taken one shot the whole game. Uh, KD's playing well with 25 points, but you're getting beat by 25 points. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, genuinely, because we talked about are the Nets in trouble? Do, are some of those issues still going to rear their head? They clearly are. I mean, just the fact of the matter is, and I hate to say this, but just the truth, well-coached teams don't let this happen when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons on your team. Just the fact of the matter is they need a better coach, man. Steve Nash is not the answer. When you have your best player on the entire team, arguably in the world, Kevin Durant saying, oh, I want to come back, but Steve has to go. Maybe listen to him next time because 
And again, I haven't been able to watch this game much, but overall, I just, I can't imagine how you would have a team this talented, a roster this talented. And the way I'm looking at it, unless if Kyrie Irving just forgot how to play basketball, I don't see how you can run an offense to where a guy who averages 27 points per game, career 25 point per game guy only has six points from what I'm seeing. Ben Simmons has two. That might check out, actually. Kevin Durant just looks like he's out there on an island doing everything he can. Overall, on the Pelicans, man, I mean, you let Brandon Ingram be 21, that's valid. CJ McCollum, 16, that's valid. Valis Chunis, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, 13 and 12. Zion Williamson, 19 and 7. I mean, overall, I don't, I'm not watching the game, but seems like one group's playing team basketball and the other group is just playing, yo, KD Cookham, which has essentially been the Steve Nash offense for three years. Just, yo, ISO, who makes tape? And they need to get an actual system, an actual offense where you can create actual situations where you can actually be a contender. And that's just not going to happen in the Steve Nash era. What do you think? No, yeah, I totally agree. The thing, I guess, that surprises me the most, it's not that Brooklyn's down 25. Like, forget all that and forget that New Orleans is beating them by 25. But the, the New Orleans Pelicans is a team that we were high on when we were initially talking. We did like the pieces that were coming back to them, especially throwing Zion back into the mix. I remember us saying that they're a, they're a West Coast sleeper team. But I think a lot of it, like you said, turns to Steve Nash. With the whole KD trade talks and him saying, I'll only come back if Steve Nash goes. Is there a point in the season where you see Steve Nash getting fired? Yes, I do. Because I think when it comes down to the trade deadline, if the Brooklyn Nets are not a top five team in the East, Kevin Durant is, he got drafted in 2007. 2008 i'm pretty sure it's 2007 draft so this is year 15 for kevin year 15 he wants another championship he wants it badly he obviously did he left brooklyn to, uh he left golden state to come here he's watching the warriors win a championship and then overall just dancing on the lakers grave last night i think a lot of these same arguments and situations are going to happen closer to the trade deadline where it's going to be it's me or him and the brooklyn nets have two situational choices they could either decide to blow up abandon the experiment get rid of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, or they could get rid of Steve Nash. And if you look at the former people who have been on that roster, Emi Udoka was on that roster. He was in the conference finals game. Jason Kidd was on that roster. He was in the conference finals game. You can't, Steve Nash just isn't a great coach. He's not. And if the fact that his players are already revolting against him before the season had started was an issue. And I guarantee you three months from now, if the season's still not going well, they're just going to get more vocal about the fact that they don't want to be coached by Steve Nash, especially because it's going to look like a big, oh, well, I told you so. I told you this guy wasn't a head coach. No, yeah, I totally agree. And at some point, you have to give the players some speaking room, some voice. They're the ones that are with the head coach day in and day out. And I think maybe two or three months. I I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because the name Steve Nash carries a lot of weight, but some people just aren't meant to be head coaches, and that's fine. But you can't have a Brooklyn Nets who is an assembled team with two of the top 20 players in the NBA, two of the top 15 players in the NBA, however you want to look at it. You can't have them both on a team and not be good, especially when they're there to win a championship. So those are just kind of the thoughts that I have. Yeah, I completely agree. This is, I know it's not supposed to be alarming this early in the season, but when you have issues like the Brooklyn Nets have been having, where one, a big factor was, okay, well, the entire world has made fun of Ben Simmons for not being aggressive. 
And we both said that we believe he's capable of being aggressive. He came out on JJ Reddick's show and the old man in the three and said, I am aggressive. I can come out and score. I'm going to fit well in this Brooklyn system. And you have two points in 20 minutes. And three turnovers. You're not aggressive. Yeah, that's that's one of the problems. All the problems that we said would happen going into the season that could be concerns seem like they're rearing their head where one, Ben Simmons is just flat out not hooping. Two points isn't hooping. I'm not watching the game. I don't have to. It's the third quarter. You shouldn't have two points. Kyrie Irving, uh, eight points now. But overall, his biggest concern was that they weren't leading a good motion offense. They weren't leading a good group. And he wasn't in a situation where he could flourish. Kyrie Irving is a player who's capable of getting 30 points in his sleep. He's capable of getting 10 assists in his sleep. So the fact that he's limited to eight, I don't think Jose Alvarado turned into a lockdown defender overnight to the point where he could hold one of the best ball handlers, if not the best ball handler of all time, to less than 10 points. So that's a massive issue. And overall, Kevin Durant's biggest worry was, why well, I just don't want to go out here filling out empty stats, especially when I don't think my coach is capable of getting a good system around me. And he has what looks like a third of the Nets points, if not a fourth of them, way more. So overall, all the issues that they've been worried about and the issues that they voice to their ownership are all coming to head right now and we're able to witness it. So that's why I would be very concerned. Yeah, I guess the last thing that I'll say on that, it comes down to your primary ball handlers taking care of the ball. And I know you specifically stated this, I think, probably three or four weeks ago about Ben Simmons and his first preseason game with the Brooklyn Nets. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, what do you have, like six turnovers that game? Yeah, he had six turnovers by the midway point in the third quarter. He's got three turnovers as the primary ball handler. Kevin Durant has four. And then you kind of go down the line. Nick Claxton has four as well. They had eight turnovers in the first eight minutes of the game when I was watching. And the point where we left off last year was that this was the Celtics defense that good or could Katie not handle the pressure, didn't have anyone else around him, or could he not handle the ball? And you're seeing it right away. He has four turnovers in this game. It's kind of hitting the head on the nail, as you would say, where all of their problems that we were talking about in previous shows bu- bubbled up. You hate to see this happen in the first game. I mean, I get that mistakes are going to happen, but for a team where you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as your leaders, people that have been in the league a, a while, and are up there in the superstar category. This can't this can't be happening. No, it absolutely can't. This is this is alarming. If I was a Brooklyn Nets fan, I would be sick. As I'm looking, it looks like Kyrie Irving has start to come to life a little bit. He scored five points, and since we've started talking about this, but 24 more to go, buddy. So <laughs> it doesn't look like that comeback's happening. And I'm surprised to see the Pelicans just come out and slap them in the mouth. I mean. Last time Zion played the Brooklyn Nets, he went for 37 and I think 16. So I'm not surprised to see his production overall. I'm just surprised to see the lack of it by the entire Brooklyn Nets, what it appears like. And looking at their bench, it seems like almost nobody has really scored except for maybe Patty Mills. So, yeah, this is very alarming, and I wouldn't overlook this at all. Yeah, I I don't know. But moving on, what do we got next? Okay, it's time for the wheel. And I added a category about two weeks ago. Oh, wait, we'll, we'll theme music. Let's go. Okay, I added a category about two weeks ago because I, I was thinking about it. And it hit, and I'm glad it hit because I think it's pretty interesting. Did you grow up watching Who Mixtape and Ball's Life and all those highlights? 
I would say, I don't know if I grew up watching it, but probably once I got to college and started hanging out with a bunch of different people who had been watching it since they'd been growing up, I started getting more and more into it. I really wasn't into the hoop mixtape or ball is life videos at all, but I kind of, I kind of like watching it now, kind of seeing the unknown players class from 2026 that are like 10 years old or 2040 that are eight years old hooping. Um, but you honestly see, so I think it's like MHTV or something. MSHTV. Yeah. Middle school hoops TV. <laughs> yeah. You see the guys on there, like, although they're pounding the ball till it's flat, I mean, they're doing some cool moves, but I think it's, I think it just gives a lot of other people attention, but no, I didn't, I didn't really uh, grow up. Probably the first video I watched and I don't even know if it was on hoop mixtape or anything was when uh, KD went to Riker park and dropped what, like 60 or something. Yeah. He went off. So did you watch any of those highlights growing up or no? No, like not growing up, but I'm talking about like, so like when I say like Austin Rivers, Andrew Wiggins, Zion Williamson, Colin Sexton, Trayvon yeah, Wall. I've seen, so probably ever since five years ago, I've been watching more of them. So I've seen more of their highlights. I just think the way that basketball is moving, these people are so athletic. And I, I think I remember, I can't remember if it was like John Walls that I was watching from high school or something. Oh my God. You can tell instantly that it's a man amongst boys and that he should be in the league. It's crazy how athletic people can be at 15, 16 years old. I mean, you see it in football all the time. Now with Alabama recruiting and you see an 18 year old that's six, seven, 340 pounds playing on the line. It's incredible. I would never, never have got, I mean, I was like at 18 years old, I was probably like five, seven, one thirty. So it's, it's just crazy to see some of these absolutely phenoms coming out here. Yeah, the topic uh, that the wheel had chosen was who mixtape slash balls life. It's kind of a saying, like people are like, oh, who mixtape? But it really just means like home team hoops has mixtape, stuff like that. It's just any high school basketball highlight tape. Sometimes it can be, you know, a guy at the Drew League, his highlight tape, but it's overall just their mixtapes and their highlights. So I was going to say we could rank them or rank some. So I've seen probably every single, not every single one imaginable, but I've seen almost all the guys ones. Like that's how I would end up choosing some of my favorite players early on. A lot of the guys who you see me have allegiances to like a Colin Sexton or a Zion Williamson that stemmed from me watching their who mixtapes and stuff when they were in uh, high school. So I was going to say we could rank the tiers on those, but instead, since you haven't watched them, I will switch it over to one other thing and I will see what it will say. Okay. All right. And then now I just category. All right. Fire. I'm just going to go off the dome with the new one. I'm inventing one because the two couldn't coincide. Would you rather at the age of 18, 17? So imagine how high your window could be. Would you rather be the number one ranked tennis player in the country? Right. We'll say number one tennis player ranked in the country. But you can't be pro yet. I'm not sure how tennis works. You could choose you golf. Could, can you be pro at like 16? Can you be pro at golf in 16? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Because I was uh, the two categories were a non-basketball or football sport. So off the dome golf. Would you rather be ranked the number one golf player in the nation at 17 
or have the highest viewed hoop mixtape in the country at 17? I think that this is, this, is a, this is a funny question that you asked us. If you were to ask me five years ago, I would say golf. But now that NIL deals are here, it's a huge difference, and you got to go with the hoop mixtape. So I think that the way the media has gone, especially with NIL, you saw Brownie just get, what, Nike and Beats. Just I mean, that's solely off his name. And I think that a lot of social media is pushing people that who normally not would not get a chance to get a chance. And so if you're going to be out on hoop mixtape and you're 17 years old getting all this recognition, I think that you have a chance to earn a lot more money. Okay. Maybe not a lot more money, but just, I don't know. I think it's, it has to do with more of the NIL thing. And I can't remember his name from St. Peter's mustache man that was popular all over social media. I mean, the dude had 20 points in a game and got, Buffalo Wild Wings for life and got signed by them. It's, it's crazy how social media can now, now sway and push things in a certain direction. And so I'll have to say the hoop mixtape, just because I think you can automatically get an NIL deal off that. You have a lot of people that are now looking your way. You might even get some extra things on the side, but I'll probably have to go with that. Just, I mean, solely probably because that and golf is a sport where you could be the best in the world and it's so still so much so hard to win i mean that thing's a toss-up you can see it in every tournament every major the favorites never like rarely going to win there's so many other great golfers especially if you're playing when you're playing four rounds of 18 holes i mean one shot you could double bogey and you're out of contention so yeah the wild thing is the most popular video on who mixtape right now it's, it's actually your boy um, you're not, you don't know him personally, but seventh woods. Oh 14. yeah. From North Carolina, baby. Hey, I actually see, saw his crazy. That's his high school one, isn't it? 14 years old. Just dominant. Oh God. But if we're talking right now, because I just wanted to double check, um, just for interest sake, I'm going to go to ball's life and see who the highest rated is on theirs. Cause I'm also curious to see. Because one of the factors for me is, all right, well, if I'm the number one watching mixtape, I'm about a year away from the NBA. So I'm a year away from like a lot of money. But it appears that the most watched hoop mixtape doesn't equal, because I mean, seventh isn't going to play in the NBA. Wow. No. Most watch on Ball's Life for an individual mixtape, because a lot of them are like the 10, 20 minute videos or whatever. Kyrie Irving. So that's, that's pretty good. Go. But overall, I got to go with, who mixtape? I mean, overall, and I'm not, I'm ignoring NILs when I say this too. Those videos are just iconic, man. Like, I don't know if you, the way those guys get treated, like Mikey Williams was an absolute legend in his high school. And I know it's like, oh, that's high school fame or whatever. In your entire city, Akil Carr, his nickname was the Crime Stopper. He had a, who mixtape come out his sophomore year of high school. Where he's absolutely he's five, six crossing dudes over doing everything on the court. He was so nice that the crime rate in Baltimore dropped on nights he was playing because the entire hood came out to watch him play. Jeez. Do you know how nice it would be to get that much love from your? I'm sorry, you're the number one golf player. You are not getting that type of love in your city. No. At all. And it's forever because it's on there too. Like the whole mixtape stuff. And you look at it, Mikey Williams is getting a bag. He's ranked 20th. There's players who are ranked way ahead of Mikey Williams, but you know why Mikey Williams is getting all the attention? He's getting all the NIL, NIL deal money because he has a fire hoop mixtape and a fireball's life tape. 
<laughs> also, I'm not even like it, it's true. It's because that's why Drake's wearing a Mikey. He was in a commercial with Drake, not because Mikey Williams is a very efficient, good shooter like Derek Lively was last year. We had multiple post moves. It's because Mikey Williams is just booming on fools. And we like to watch that with the catchy beat in the background. Who mixtape legends are immortalized? It's golf is good. And it's probably the longer term better idea because a lot of these hoop mixtape guys, if we would have gone through the tiers, like I think the best hoop mixtape, like great player, because we won't count Zion Williamson because he's kind of past their era, would be like Andrew Wiggins, which, yeah. <laughs> which is like not the best ceiling. He first pick champion, whatever. But a lot of those guys seem to not pan out like to the level that they could. But man, that cloud is still there. I mean, most of the basketball world knows your name. You get universal respect. I'm being honest. I fully would be that guy who's 35 years old at the bar and a girl asks for my number. And instead of saying, hey, it's Blake from the bar, she's going to get a text message. And when she's on a video, what is this? Click on it. I'll be 35. What is this video? And first thing here, shout out who makes the tape. It's just going to be me. I'm like, hey, I'm nice, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm being serious. I tell you, if I met Jordan Poole and if I met Corey Sanders, Corey Sanders, who plays overseas now, you might not even know who he is. There's a good chunk of people our age who would be way more excited to meet Corey Sanders. You are infamous in the basketball community for life. And when we've all picked up that ball and had passion for it, I think at one point all of us have just wanted to be remembered and all of us just wanted to be a hero. And to have a who mixtape, you're immortalized one, two, there's cameras coming to every high school game you're playing and everybody's chanting your name for the video. Like that type of love people don't necessarily receive ever. So if you can get an opportunity to get that plus some NIL deal money, plus you're the king, like of your little area and a lot of high school scholarships are coming with that. I will take that over being the best golf player in the nation especially because I don't even know if I'd want to be the best golf player. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially also, that was the big factor for me too, 17. Like, totally. at our older age, you know, it would be cool to be like, we're thinking like, oh, financially being the number one golf player in the nation, I could do this, I could do that. At 17, I'm just like, yo, you're going to give me like a bunch of free chains and shoes because I'm yeah. good at hooping? Like, yeah. You no, want me to be in Drake's video? It's fine. Yeah. It's big for especially a, a young person to see that. It's kind of how they handle it too. I mean, a lot of a lot of younger people are starting to get more fame, and it's having younger people to deal with being famous at such a young age. You saw it with LeBron, and he did it perfectly. Ever since he was coming out of high school, he had cameras in his face. And so it'll be interesting kind of to see in the next few years how how these young people deal with fame at 16, 17, 18 years old. And then follow-up question on this, just because I'm curious, because I don't know if we'll ever get on this topic again. If you had, would you rather, if you had a who mixtape, what would you want the like focal point of your video to be about? Like, would you want to be the dude who's known as this like ankle breaker, Spencer Mose, or it's just like, human body bag Spencer Rose <laughs> or is it just deep threat most clutch player because it's either you're crossing people up you're dunking on everybody or you were just a dead-eye shooter what would you want your who makes safe to be I think that 
I would want it to be, I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. I think that ankle breaking would be third just because like, if people are going to watch, yeah, you break ankles. It's, it's cool and all, but it's just ankle breaking. I mean, everyone does that. I think it would have to be between absolutely dunking on people all the time, like Zion Williamson or being a dead eye shooter. And I think maybe the dead eye shooter would get me just because you would have more chances. Maybe I would say at shooting the ball rather than having dunks on people. You probably realistically in a game, you might only get like two chances to dunk on someone, maybe three. But if you're a, if you're a dead eye shooter, you have the ball in your hands all the time. I mean, you could be pulling from half court. People are cheering you on as you shoot. Like the, the, the one video I remember is when LaMelo balls in high school and he points at the, at the half court line and shoots it. And the whole place went crazy. I, I think that's, I think that's cool. So I think for that reason, I'll probably take that the dead eye shooter, just because you'll have more chances. And I think that just comes around with more media attention, longer videos. Um, and you have more chances to probably get at that rather than dunk. There's some of these cats, bro. You need <laughs> some of these guys. It's like, man, it's uh, I know Ronnie Fields. He had one back in the nineties. One of his like stats was in six games. He had 39 dunks. So <laughs> you can, yeah, you can yeah. get your chances. Personally, I think if I had to choose, I would go. And you said everybody breaks people's ankles. I, I don't. Okay, so. not every, <laughs> yeah, but on your case, a lot of people dunk. I can barely touch the rim. <laughs> yeah. So I think I would have to go, and it's opposite. Dead eyes last for me. Two, I'd have to go, it was really close. I think I would want to go dunking second, just because dunking is exciting and stuff like that. And it would be dope to actually, no, no. If we're, I started thinking about like the clout and like all the energy and all the hype around it. Two is ankle breaking, just because it would be dope to cross somebody over. But I'm also imagining if I'm just crossing these people over and I can't shoot. And like, yeah, at what point can they show really that in finish. the videos? Is it cut off after you cross someone or does it show the shot? Yeah, the second they fall, it switches to the next scene. Unless if you somehow score or your teammate scores. But a lot of these guys, it's like the a basketball court's 92 feet. A lot of the a lot of the time it's them uh crossing somebody up like 10 feet into the court, like getting double teamed early. So it's like you're not making big plays. Like, in the videos, it looks very cool. But, like, I don't know. There's only so many times you can cross somebody over and it's, like, cool. I would love to just be the guy who's just flat out windmilling on dudes. Because if you're Zion Williamson, you're dunking like that. You're probably jumping out the gym blocking people like that, too. Yeah. And, like, just the amount of energy, just imagining yourself on a fast break. Maybe your crush is in the stand. Maybe Duke is in the stand. And everybody just sees you. And you jump up, and who's coming? Blake Beasley. Is he gonna <laughs> dunk it? No. Between the legs, and there's videos like this where it's between the legs. Boom! Boom! I mean, you just can't beat that type of energy. And I know if you were that guy, you can cross me over the next possession. That's not gonna take away the fact that I like that somebody like just did that. So I gotta go dunking, especially with these young kids, man. It's not like they're just doing the classic two hand or the one hand. It, there's freak athletes coming up. We're seeing kids in eighth grade just windmill on each other. So I would definitely think I'm going dunking and shooting last. And just as a key, though, because, like, it's helpful. The shooter, the biggest shooting one is Trey Young, mm -hmm. who's obviously an NBA player. 
biggest ankle breaking ones probably a kill car marcus levette not nba and biggest uh dunking one is probably shaquille johnson or quee parker both not nba so in terms of future you chose the right choice 100 there you go there you go yep and that will do it unless if you have anything else left to say I guess the last, the one thing last I have to say, I, I can't leave the show without saying that my North Carolina Tar Heels are the AP number one in college basketball. How could, how could, no one should forget that. That made my day when I saw that. We're going to have future co- shows to come where we talk Tar Heels basketball. We talk college basketball with it starting pretty soon. The close scrimmages are starting. I mean, basketball is right around the corner. It's the best time of the season when you have hockey starting, you have basketball starting. and you're getting into football. The college football rankings, what, come out in two weeks, I think? Maybe yeah. next week, two weeks. Um, so it's an exciting time of the year, especially what, after you just have golf on for so long and really there's nothing else going on. This is a time where a lot of things start to pick up speed, and the North Carolina Tar Heels will win the national. It's the, it's the redeem team this year, baby. It's the redemption tour. I will say, I thought, I don't know if you see it, the SI cover they had. I think that's actually pretty cool. It was cool, yeah. Yeah, the throwback to 1981. Um, I don't know who's going to win the national championship this year. It won't be Armando Bacot Jr., but it will be – or Caleb Love. Um, and who's your point guard? Well, Caleb Love, R.J. Love. Davis. R.J. Davis. He's good. Slept on. Very slept No, on. seriously, he has one of the highest watch through mixtapes of all time, too. You really? want to check that out. Yeah, his Balls Live tape is absolutely disgusting. So uh, he was one of the guys who I was thinking of, too, who I was going to include in those tiers. But overall, you know, best uh, worst of luck to North Carolina. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I guess that'll do it. Catch us on Wednesdays, again, presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Uh, catch me or Spencer on the roundtable. And thank you for tuning in. We hope you have a great rest of the week. And that'll do it from 40% BS. Have a good one.